Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 143, and we're going to be interviewing Christine M. How are you doing today? I'm great, Jim. Thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm excited to get going here and do this. So tell me about your childhood and growing up. What was that like? It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was it was rough. Um, you know, even in elementary school and middle school and especially high school, I never was part of any of the, um, any of the crowds, any of the in crowds. I, I did do sports finally in high school, but by then, you know, I was, I was the fat girl on the playground. I was, you know, I grew up with four other boys, two brothers, two older uncles. Um, I had to deal with a lot of trauma that I did not realize until just a few years ago from before I was even four. Um, there was a family member that um, molested me for quite a few years, which I didn't know. Um, being, you know, the only girl, I, I was a tomboy, so I always had to fit in and do the boy things. Um, being around boys all the time when I was 12, 13, my uncle, who was a year older than me, actually raped me, so that was not cool. Um, you know, and obviously the, the, the traumas that I had to go through pretty much forged my my lifestyle that definitely came out um not just the addiction to drugs and alcohol um sex became the only way that i thought i was supposed to be loved because that's what i had been taught throughout those those times um i you know we're we're there we're we're pretty much getting ready to go into you know young adult and um See, so I met my first husband when I was 21, my first child at 22. Great father. Go ahead. You look like you have a question. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, what was the first age you ever used anything? Because, well, okay, so I lost a brother when I was 16 years old, and he was 11 months younger than me. The reason I stayed away from everything was because he ended up being addicted to alcohol at 10 and 11 years old. Although I did smoke cigarettes at like 10. I started my, both my parents smoked, both sets of grandparents smoked. Um, so I started smoking very early, got caught at like 14 or 15, had to do the typical sit down in front of dad at the table, smoke a whole pack of cigarettes. Okay. And of course, yeah. Okay. Dad, I won't smoke. I got sick as a dog, but not, you know, I mean, it was like it was a chain smoke. And I think it maybe I got through half half the pack and my father realized it. it wasn't doing any any good. I wasn't getting he was he wasn't, you know, teaching me any lessons. Um, it wasn't until I was about 18 that I smoked in front of him. But be, with my brother at 15 and even earlier, he he just knew that his body needed alcohol. He didn't know why. Um, we had another family member that was an alcoholic. Um, he just knew that his body needed alcohol. So when, I mean, first thing in the morning, and we we grew up rural um, on a farmhouse, three acres, and then there were tons of acres of um, cornfields, and it was in, in uh, Pennsylvania. 
he he would get up we'd get up early in the morning and he would get a tall tumbler and fill it three quarters of vodka and the rest was orange juice and then put it in some sort of container and that's what he took to school and that's what he learned to survive on from there and throughout his high school years before he passed um you know he got into pills and the pot and so I, being the eldest of three children, I was the one, if if any of my brothers got in trouble, I got the beating for it. If any of them did anything wrong, I was punished for it because I should have been the one to keep an eye out for them and keep track of them and make sure they stayed out of trouble. So it was even when I went to college, I, I went, you know, shortly after high school, I graduated, I went to college, I still had no desire to drink. So my addiction, though, was sex. I just didn't know it back then. So I would, you know, find anybody that gave me that tiny little bit of attention and love or what I thought was the proper way, I immediately latched on. It was it was bad enough that when I was 19 years old, I was at a party and um, with all my roommates and college friends that I was going to school with. And the DJ came over at one of his breaks, offered to buy me a drink, a beer or something. And even though I didn't drink, I, th- I think I told him to get me something else, maybe a punch, which was obviously spiked, not only with alcohol, but he had, he had put other drugs in there. I ended up basically being kidnapped for about four or five days. Okay, just gone. I mean, he took me outside. The next thing I know, I'm in a half days and I'm basically tied to his bed. And for four or five days, I had to do what he told me to do, how he told me to do it, including go to the bathroom, shower, everything. I No clothes. You know, I was completely naked for the four days. He'd leave me there unattended while he worked, I guess, or wherever he went, come home and just have his way with me. And it, it was, it was bad. <laughs> I mean, I may sound like I'm dumbing it down a little bit, but it was bad. I was abducted and held captive for four days and it, and it was the worst four or five days of my life. When he was finally done, um, he, he took me home, which remember I, I arrived at this your phone muted. He, he took me to my home, which was a um, an apartment building. I have no idea how he found out about me, knew my name, knew where I lived. Um, and, of course, you know, did the whole, you know, if you tell anybody what happened. And the whole time, the whole four or five days that I was with him, I was always drugged. There was always some sort of drugs put in my either my food, my my water, whatever it was. I, I was kind of in and out of consciousness. Um, there's a lot that I don't remember, time lapses that I don't remember. Um, but he he took me home and did the, the typical, if you tell anyone, I know where you live, I will kill you. And being 18, 19 years old, I believed him. I, I here I was in the situation. And I had no clue how, how did, you know, once I could finally get out of the fog, um, I didn't know how much he knew. He dropped me off in front of my apartment building. 
you know, you start to think, okay, how do you know where I live? Did he get my driver's license, my purse, you know, my ID? How much did he know? How much did he not know? Um, it was pretty scary. It was pretty scary. Um, I, I ended up not answering the door, not answering the phone for an additional, not even going to class for an additional maybe four or five days because I was scared. And, you know, and every time I'd, I'd open the drape, I could see his vehicle out front. He would do drive-bys on, on the street. Why do you I, think that was? Why do you think he was doing drive-bys if he had already let you go? I have no idea. I have to this day, I still have no idea. And that was, you know, 30 some years ago, even longer for 38 years ago. Um, it, it was it was scary. It was, you know, it was very scary. I can only imagine. And, and being so young and not knowing here I am from I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, but I went to school in Michigan. I'm a 12 hour drive from any family. There was no family there. It was just the people I had gone to school with that I made friends with there. I wasn't seeing anybody really up there. I mean, I was completely vulnerable and I did not know any better. I didn't know who to talk to, who to turn to. I, you know, I wasn't friends with anybody other than, and even then I was, I felt so guilty and, ashamed of myself um, that I couldn't answer the door. I didn't go to class, as I stated. I, I, I isolated. And it wasn't until, you know, several days had gone by that my father ended up sending from Pennsylvania. He called the local state police and said, I can't get in touch with my daughter. Do whatever you have to do. Break that door down and make sure she's okay. Thank God my dad did that. So, you know, at, at one point, several days later, the door is pounding. I don't want to answer it. I'm scared to death that it's him, even though I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't do anything. I listened to what he said. <clears throat> Finally, it, you know, I hear it's the police. So I open the door and I, I even then I said, I've just been sick. Your father's been your father's been trying to get in touch with you. And all I said was I was sick. But I was stayed in bed for three days, four days, whatever it was. I just, I was that violently sick. I couldn't even talk to him. So I get done with college, kind of, sort of. I didn't even really graduate. I, I did go three years. But in between there, I met my first husband. Well, it wasn't until I met him that my first true addiction was cocaine. Um, we had started dating. Uh, he now, I, I believe that I had those genes within me, okay? And you'll get both sides of the aisle say, you know, addiction is not something that's in the body. It's something that, you know, it's not predetermined or it is. You'll have both sides of the aisle on that. After watching my brother at 13 and 14 years old crave alcohol and not know why he craved alcohol, that was a chemical imbalance in, in his system. So you can argue either way you want. So I met my first husband. Um, oh, of course, we didn't get married right away. Right away. We, we dated. Um, and that was my first encounter with cocaine. And of course, this was the 80s. It was, you know, I graduated 83. So 86, my first child was born in 87. The first five years that I was married to this man and and gave birth to three children, I was addicted to cocaine. It, it did 
it did a lot of damage by being addicted to to cocaine so early in those three pregnancies okay now not only that not only did i have to deal with the and i so my first my first son was born and 4 years later my second child came along and i was still doing cocaine before I became pregnant with my first one, one of my first husband's friends came over to the house and said, hey, can you go get me an eight ball? <clears throat> he said, yeah, he went to the dealer and we were not married when when this happened. So he left and it was a good 30 minutes just to drive to, to the dealer to go pick up an eight ball. The minute he left the apartment that we were in, his friend stayed behind. And I had known his friend. I, you know, just through, you know, knowing my first husband, you know, the boyfriend before he was my husband. I knew who this guy was. As soon as, as soon as my first husband left the, the apartment, got in the car and drove away. And because we had already, meaning the first husband and I, we had already been doing cocaine I had no no strength to be able to help myself with what happened next. What happened next was his friend was immediately on top of me on the chair. And he raped me in my own house, in our own apartment. I mean, this was my first husband's friend, supposedly that he grew up with, and this man is all over me. Jim, I had, by the time my husband came back, before he was my husband, by the time he came back, at, at least an hour had gone. And as, as hard as I tried to fight this friend of his off because of the effects of cocaine, I couldn't, okay? He wasn't that much bigger than me. He was obviously a little stronger than me. Um, but because I fought back, he fought harder. <clears throat> Excuse me, when I... When I did finally get him off of me, and, and the only reason I think he got off was because he heard the car come back, I laid in, in our bed. They took care of business. They probably did a line, and he went on his merry way when the boyfriend, the first husband, came into the bedroom. I didn't want him to touch me, and it wasn't until he turned on the light and I had bruises from the knees up on the inside of my leg. They were black and blue and turning that ugly purple and, and getting that red. And they were, He had done so much damage to my body, it wasn't even funny. Not just the, the force of a physical rape, but what he did to hold my legs open. It was, it was, it's something that I hope no woman ever has to go through, but unfortunately it happens. So... That was my first addiction, the cocaine. As I stated, it lasted um, five years. Obviously, we we as a couple, and now we have three small children at home. I actually, the third one wasn't born yet. Um, both my parents and his parents, we got married. I was seven months pregnant with the first one when we got married. Um, 
they saw the change that was happening in us. And it, it's, it's a thank God moment, but when you're living in it, it's not, it's like, how dare you? How could you, you know, all the denial comes out. You say, no, I'm not addicted. But there was a small part of me that was like, yes, please help. Okay. I saw what it did to my children. So I give birth to my first child. My second child comes along and within a few months, and remember I had been still doing cocaine. And when I say doing cocaine, obviously we started out snorting and then we went to smoking it. Okay. Um, it got to a point where towards the end for both of us, he started shooting it. I couldn't do that. I just could not shoot the cocaine in my veins. So real quick, you Go didn't, qu you didn't quit while you were pregnant. No, I did not. So, I did not. That's all, how you're lucky. All your babies were born healthy, right? Second child comes along. Okay. She ended up, because I was still doing cocaine through her pregnancy, she ended up in the hospital at, at six months old. Okay. She, the muscle in her stomach from feet, and obviously I couldn't breastfeed. I knew enough that I could not breastfeed this child, any of my children. So she comes along, the muscle in her stomach is not capable to close. So anything that goes down projectile vomit she ended up losing three pounds and when you're a newborn baby at six months old three pounds is like an adult losing a hundred pounds it she ended up in the hospital for about a week till they could without surgery but they weren't sure which way to go um you know what to do to to get her one to get her weight back up and two to stop her from projectile vomiting i mean it was it was that bad so no my children did not the first one he was okay for the first 18, 20 years of his life. He became an addict. He is now clean and sober also. Okay. And obviously his addictions were alcohol. Um, I think he was doing um, heroin, he was cocaine, marijuana. His addictions were worse than mine. So that's my second child. My third, I'm actually <clears throat> in the hospital with my third child. Now, and, and, and let me, for anybody asking and wondering, um, I will always tell my children that I was a lousy mother without a doubt. Okay. But one thing I always did make sure is that they had a roof over their head. They had clothes on their back and they had food in their belly. Okay. I always, and, and we're always clean and dressed and school. When my, my eldest one was five, he started kindergarten, always made sure that those three children were taken. Well, the first two were taken care of. I did do that. So now I'm in the hospital, actually going through labor with my third child and my OBGYN came in and said, Christine, I understand we have a drug problem and I'm I'm in labor and I'm going yes as I'm pushing this child out what happened was basically they took him away from me as soon as he came out as soon as he was born they took him away did what they needed to obviously checked him more so than they would a regular child knowing that there was a cocaine addiction going through my body what are the chances now that he's going to be addicted to cocaine that he's going to have to go through withdrawal um 
they immediately took him away. So I never had that chance to immediately bond with that child. Okay. They basically, the meaning that they, meaning the hospital and nurses and doctors basically said to me, you can't have your child until you sign these papers and agree that you're going to get clean and sober. At that point, I had already, the last time I used was two days before he was born. I immediately knew that I wanted to get help. I needed to get help. I knew that the, the cocaine addiction was way out of hand. It was way out of hand. And I didn't want to see, I, I still love my kids. So, I mean, as a mom, you always do no matter what. But I knew that the environment and what they would would grow up in was not something that I wanted for them. So they basically took my child away. It was probably good that my third one, it was probably a good 12 hours before I could even see him, you know, have hold him, bond with him. Um, and and I signed the papers. I said, yes, I, I, I even though it was two days before, I don't want to use anymore. I don't want to be addicted to cocaine anymore. Yes, I want the help. I will do whatever I have to do to get the help. As it turned out, my... My mom was a saint. I hated her at the time, but I loved her for what she did. She and my dad were living in Florida. We were still in Pennsylvania. She made the drive to come all the way up to Pennsylvania, not only picked up me, she picked up my three children and said, you're coming to Florida. I'll watch your there's a brand new baby. My mom hasn't had to take care of children, you know, for, I was in my, you know, my late twenties by then my brother was 11 years younger. So, I mean, it had been quite a few years since mom had a brand new baby in the house. Um, but she was a saint. She came up, she took care of the kids. She got us. We, we went to Florida. We traveled to Florida. I took my, my rehab in, in, you know, a, a outpatient rehab and, um, she was a saint. She raised my kids for the first 90 days. She, she, she was a saint. I will never take that away from her. To, to handle three small children that she wasn't prepared to, she was a saint without a doubt. Um, and that was that was the last time that I basically used cocaine. And then, of course, we get sober, we get clean. But you know how it goes that you basically trade one addiction for another. So the first husband and I were married 20 some years and, the you know, after we got clean and sober from the cocaine, we didn't realize that the addiction was still there. You, you know the saying, um, one is never a, one is too many, a thousand is never enough. So no matter how many years we had gone without any type of drug or alcohol, we didn't know that we just traded one for another. We were busy raising a family, doing well. We had good jobs. We provided for the kids. We ended up moving from Pennsylvania then to Florida, start a new life, you know, have my mom and dad close, you know, have them there for support, get away from the cocaine in Pennsylvania and the dealer and everything else. Um, so, we moved to Florida. Everything's good. We probably go 10, 12 years, nothing, no alcohol, no cocaine, you know, cigarettes. Yes. But that's about it. 
And then it was a, I think it was a New Year's Eve and we both were kind of like, you know, is one really going to hurt? You know, let's, let's celebrate. We're doing well. Um, that was my downfall. Taking that one drink New Year's Eve was my downfall. And I went full blown alcohol. I mean, like straight out of the bottle, like I had never stopped. Just like the saying, like I had never stopped. My kids were, you know, they were um, middle school, maybe, you know, maybe one of them was getting ready to go into high school. And I, mom was a full blown alcoholic, functioning alcoholic without a doubt, but an alcoholic. Um, I went, you know, I went to work, I did my job, but as soon as I came home, First thing I did was I, you know, it was anything from Jägermeister, um, Captain Morgan's regular spice drum. Um, then I, you know, went over to um, um, Silver. I mean, but it was it was straight. I mean, straight out of the bottle, straight into a glass. Never mixed it with anything. Like 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 the the addiction never stopped. Full blown alcoholic. Obviously, it put a strain on the first marriage. Um, kids were getting to be, they were all, one of them was out of high school. The other, the, actually, two of them were out of high school. They had already graduated. Um, my alcoholism, you know, and everything that had happened in between there. And there was a, there was a shit pot of crap that happened in between with those, those, those last 10, 12 years in that first marriage. Um we separated. We, we, I, I ended up, I cheated on him. I got caught. He kicked my ass out of the house. I'm like, Oh fuck now what? So I went on a down downward spiral, totally spun out of, out of control for about two, two and a half years. I was full blown party girl. Okay. And not in a good way. Definitely not in a good way. I'd go out every, I was making good money. Okay. And, and obviously the kids were 18. Okay. And even though I got kicked out of the house, the youngest one was just about to turn 18. And, um, I basically said to, you know, the, the first husband, I'll be damned if I gave birth to this child and I'm not paying you alimony. So, you know, the kid's almost 18, not going to happen. Um, so I had all this extra fun money, you know, I could pay my bills. I was living in a dump of a hotel motel. Okay. Didn't care. No cares in the world. I still went to work every day, was making decent money, advanced in my job. Um, but as soon as, as five o'clock hit six o'clock hit, I was home partying Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and half the day Sunday, I was drinking, getting into trouble. I mean, I can't tell you how many more times that I was raped, gang raped, um, you know, put in situations, drinking and driving. Um, finally did get caught on that. Um, we, you know, went to spend the night in jail. Um, I mean, it was it was bad. It was full blown bad. Two and a half years that I just let it go. I, I just. I had no care in the world. No, I didn't care what happened to me. Um, attempted suicide twice in those two and a half years. Um, why, why were those two and a half years specifically bad? Did something happen to trigger that? I was single and I didn't give a shit about anything. I didn't care about life. My kids were already over 18. I didn't, I didn't care. There well, Was there something that triggered, like, was there an event that happened maybe? Well, the fact that I had I had got caught cheating on my husband. We were still okay, married. So you... so I ended up leaving. I just 
you know, I got kicked out of the house. He said, you can't stay. I'm like, fine. F you. I don't care. And I mean, that was yeah, the trigger. Okay. I got that you. Was that was it. That was it. And I, like I said, I ended up full blown party girl and it was bad. It was bad. I ended up getting into situations that I should have never been in even sober. I, I ended up dating guys that um, would not only would we drink, but he'd go get coke. So here I am addicted to cocaine again because he'd get cocaine, put it on top of marijuana. We'd smoke it that way. And I like the high. It's like, you know, OK, I could do this if you're ba- paying for it and buying it. I can do it. Um, but it got out of hand. It was it was bad. It was you know, I didn't care about my looks. I didn't care about my health. The only thing I wanted to do was get high and drunk. That's it. To kill every single pain, which is where the attempted suicide came in, you know, because I hated life. I hated who I was. I hated the fact that I had gone 12 years clean and sober. And now here I am again doing this shit all over again. I hated myself. I hated what my kids were seeing. I hated what I did to my husband. I mean, I, I love the man. You know, I mean, he never he was he was a great father without a doubt husband he could have been a lot better later in in the years but i will never take away the fact that he was a great father to our three children but i didn't care i i I didn't care all i wanted to do was get high get drunk get stupid It, it didn't matter it nothing mattered so for two and a half years i i didn't care i just didn't care about anything and then um and then husband number two entered and that was a a complete fiasco, complete fiasco. Extremely narcissistic, abusive, um, control freak. Um, this one put me over the edge. Okay. Um, again, attempted suicide several times. The physical abuse was everything from black eyes, bruises all over my body. I got beat with a rubber mallet. I survived the gunshot wound to the head. I had a cracked wrist, three, a broken wrist, three cracked ribs. You name it. I went through the physical abuse with him. How did you survive getting shot in the head? What did you miss the head on? What Okay, where'd you get shot? If you don't mind me asking. No, it it wasn't the head, but the way what happened was I was sitting on the toilet. I was crying my eyes out. I had just been beat, you know, probably smacked around, um, just couldn't take it anymore. I went into my bedroom. Um, I sat down on the toilet backwards. I had my hands leaning over and um, he didn't like the fact that I was crying. And I tried as much as I tried to muffle it and keep it quiet. The emotion was just coming out. Like everything was just coming to a head. So he came in and I tried to stay quiet. I heard him open the drawer and it was my gun. It was a 40 caliber gun. Now, remember, we grew up in Pennsylvania. We all, you know, my first husband and I taught all three of my children, you know, this gun safety. They know how to handle them. I know how to handle them. I used to hunt. I used to be on the rifle team in high school. We taught this to the kids. So it was my gun. And I heard him pull it out of the drawer. And of course, I heard the cock of the gun. I was like, oh, fuck. Can I curse? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Okay. 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 So I heard it and I'm sitting on the toilet and I'm, I'm just like, 
whatever. At this point, I didn't care. There was so much abuse that had gone on, not just the physical, the sexual abuse, the verbal abuse, the psychological, the mental. I endured every part, the narcissistic control asshole that he was, okay? So I'm sitting on the toilet. He's got the gun on top of my head on a downward angle, and as I said, it's a 40 caliber. It's not a small little 22. It was a big gun. <clears throat> I'm crying. He's yelling at me. And I think, I think I snapped. And I had reached my point where I said, internally, enough. Okay. And basically, I said to him, pull the fucking, tr do it. Do it. Just do it. Just pull the fucking trigger. You fucking pussy. Pull the trigger. I don't give a shit anymore. End my fucking life because it's not worth living anymore. I dare you pull the fucking trigger. You fucking piece of shit. I was so pissed, so fed up. Just pull the trigger. I wanted nothing to do with life anymore. I wanted nothing to do with him anymore. Just get out of, just end it, end it. And he pulled the trigger and as I'm going deaf and my head is on fire, basically from the heat and the, the heat of the gun and the bullet, I can't hear anything because I'm deaf. I, you can smell the burnt hair, the burnt flesh, and two thoughts went through my mind at that moment. The first one was, oh, fuck, I'm not dead. And then it was, oh, fuck, I'm not dead. I wanted to be dead, but I didn't want to be dead. And I kind of glanced up with my eyes and I could see the huge hole in my bathroom wall. Would later then find out that it went through three walls. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'm still <clears throat> trying to regain hearing. I could feel the blood trickling down the side of my head. He is then taking the gun and as anybody who has been in a situation with a, an abusive, narcissistic son of a bitch will tell you, I got smacked up the upside the head with the gun and basically told, see what you made me do? I was like, okay. He puts the gun away. I hear the 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 drawer close. And two more thoughts basically came to mind. As I'm sitting there, hearing starting to come back a little bit. I can still smell the burnt hair. I can feel now obviously he didn't, you know, even bother to get a washcloth a towel, whatever, see how bad the damage, at this point, I have no idea how damaged I am or are not. I have no idea how bad this gunshot wound is. I know there's hair missing because I could smell it burnt. And the next thoughts that I had were, I could pull that gun and I can either finish what he couldn't do or I could pull that gun and commit homicide basically kill that fucker right where he sat okay pull the gun out walk out to the living room pull it on him pull the trigger and make sure the got job got done and i sat there on the toilet 
and I thought the thought through. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how I got that far. And I thought, this son of a bitch is not worth me. It will it will it even be justifiable homicide? He had left the room. It certainly wasn't self-defense. Okay, it's not like I pulled the gun from him and turned it on him. Moments had passed. I have no idea how much time had passed. And I thought, this son of a bitch is not worth me going to jail, losing my children, having to explain to my, you know, my then adult children, they're still adults, but my adult children, what I did, why I did it. Um, I thought, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. That, 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 that is not me. I'm not a quitter. I'm not, I will figure this out. I will fight it. I will do whatever I have to do. That was in 2015. It wasn't until 2018 that I still endured abuse. I ended up a full-blown alcoholic because that's the only way to numb the pain, okay? And I don't mean physical pain because the physical will eventually go away. Obviously, the wound on my head healed, okay? I can't see, I I couldn't go to anybody and say, hey, how bad is this wound on my head, you know? It's not like I could go to my kids. I just took some extra hair and put it over there. Um. I have no idea, you know, if there's even a scar there. Eventually, obviously, the hair grew back. Um, But it was, you know, I became a full-blown alcoholic, okay? So bad that it put me in the hospital just to be able to numb the pain. So I ended up in the hospital, four surgeries. When On the second surgery, when the doctor opened me up, he they removed my gallbladder, my appendix, part of my colon, part of my intestine, and my whole left fallopian tube. And basically my surgeon, when I came out of recovery from that second surgery, my surgeon came to me and he said, Christine, if you take one more drink, you will die. And it was at that point in 2016 that I was like, you know, that's a theory I don't want to test. I had made it this far in my life through everything that I had endured from before I was four years old, all the rapes that I had gone through in, you know, my early preteens and then my teenage years being abducted, being, you know, raped and gang raped and, 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 and abducted everything. And, and now surviving this man, I was not going to die from cirrhosis of the liver. And they basically told me, you have full-blown cirrhosis of the liver. And the only way basically to to cure this is a transplant. And you have to be clean and sober for a year before you'll even be considered for a transplant. I wasn't going to do that. With what I went through for that first year from 2016 to 2017 between the four surgeries, I have metal in my liver. I have a stent in there. I've gone through hell and back how many times? And I thought, I can do this. If I can survive all that, I can survive this. And that's kind of where my life is now. I, I got clean. I got sober. I, I was determined I was not going to test my surgeon's theory if I took one more drink. I ended up addicted to pain pills. Obviously, they gave me every, you know, four surgeries I had. I think we counted at 1.78, 82 staples from my chest plate down. Um. Uh, you know, I figured if I survived all that, 
there's a reason for it. I don't know what the reason is, but there's a reason for it. So here I am. I try and get the word out, let everybody know that that this is this is my story. I made it. This is why you don't want to go here. If I can, you know, help the younger generation, great. If I can give somebody the hope to to get out, find help, that's what I'm here for. That's what I do. That's great that you want to help people. That's a great thing. Step 12, or for us, yes. step 10, we have our own 10 step program, but same difference. Um, yep. But yeah, giving back for some reason and helping keeps us sober. It's just a, it's just a byproduct of you know being of service makes us feel better. Yes, I yes, I have to. I, I have to. I can't. I do not want to see any woman go through what I went through. It was, it was extremely tragic. It was, I don't want to see my daughter go through that. I don't want any young woman to not have enough. What I didn't have back at 18 years old and even younger than that. I don't want, I I want women to know that we, we don't have to, and, and men, obviously, you know, there, there is a better life. I mean, everybody knows that got sober, and healthy and clean that this life is so much better than we could have ever imagined mm. ever imagined absolutely yes yeah so that's what i do i try and get the word out and let everybody know that find help find somebody that can help you find somebody that talk to us i mean I, i'm a coach mostly for abused women but i will help anybody that reaches out I, however i need to always there that's great. Thank you. Really happy for you that you're doing so well. Thank you. Thank you. You too. You too. I mean, we ha- we have to. We have to help those. It, yeah. it just makes the world and life a better place, a better, a better, a better world. Yeah, someone being nice and caring about others is always going to make the better. It's going always going to make a better world for us. Yes. Yes. I have one last question for you. Do Go you for have it. any advice for people watching and listening? Advice in general <laughs> or specific? Whatever type of advice you want to give. Um, it's funny. I, I, I actually had a thought the other day that when we, when we try to please everyone else, and put ourselves second, third, fourth, and fifth, we end up not pleasing ourselves. And we need to take care of ourselves. We need to, and it's not its not a selfish thing. It's a selfless, love, caring thing. If we can care for ourselves first and love who we are on the inside, and that's really, I mean, you know, we have, we all have our reasons why we drank, why we do drugs, why we put ourselves in the situations, fix that problem, you know, talk to somebody, get help. I, I said, I actually said this morning that we are stronger when we admit our weakness. So admit your weakness because it makes you a strong person to find and seek that help. That would be my advice. Awesome. Thank you. You did super great today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, it was a pleasure. So sit tight. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below, give us a like. 
Also subscribe so you can see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And you can also check out our website, www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll find uh, plenty of resources as well as some free literature. That's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.